Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Who wants to know how virtual reality and psychedelics come together to help people become better? Well, on today's podcast, I have Agnieszka. She is a researcher at Swingburg University and is the co-founder of Enosis Therapeutics. Her research focuses on investigating therapeutic mechanisms in psychedelic treatments that can be strengthened through the experience designed and translate findings of her research into real life applications by developing virtual ready scenarios. She recently conducted the world's first ever case study with the use of VR and psychedelics, Enosis native VR scenarios using innovative patent pending mechanisms, anchoring VR trademark, which preserves the profound but elusive psychological insights that emerge during psychedelic experiences. So without no delay, I'd like to welcome Agnieszka. Hey. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you on here um, and and learn about what you're up to. These are all very fascinating topics uh, that is, uh, I think a lot of people are really curious about, you know, what can we do with VR? That's not just games and entertainment, and all that stuff. You know, how do we bring psychedelics into the mainstream and help and use it for not something that's so taboo? Uh, so I'm really excited to wrap with you. And But first, I'd like to kick things off with just a little bit about your background. Like, what got you into this whole, like, eclectic, you know, uh, bleeding edge technology space? Yeah, it was uh, quite a journey. Um, I, my background originally was in design and architecture um, and so this is how i started my career and i've used vr for design before i used vr um, in science um, i then went through a career change and um, did another degree in biomedical science um, and that's where i completely fell in love with science and started to pursue a lot of um, those cutting-edge technologies um, for medical research um, medical imaging 3d modeling and virtual reality um, and i've used it for almost a decade across uh, different fields of medicine. Um, I used VR, for example, to do um, crime scene investigation um, in forensic medicine or uh, Mars mission simulations um, for the space agency. Um, so I used this across a variety of different functions. And I was always fascinated with how virtual reality world works, how immersive it is, and how it impacts the users beyond the, the functions that we're trying to accomplish. So obviously, VR is mostly used um, either as a gaming engine or used uh, for educational purposes. But it always felt like that's a sort of insufficient way of approaching that and that there is more to it that we could be taking out of that. And that was mostly because of that change that I saw in people who have been using VR, who have just taken off the VR headset and were astonished by how immersive it is, how real it felt, um, and how they felt transformed to a different reality that seemed very beneficial to them um, on a number of different levels that weren't related to um, the medical research. So um, going from that, um, I pursued another degree in clinical psychology and always kept at the back of my mind virtual reality as a therapeutic tool of how it could impact the psychology and the emotional state of people who are using it. Um, and also during my um, clinical psychology degree, I came across psychedelics. 
Um, so my my journey in psychedelics is um, unlike most people's. Um, I didn't come at this from a personal sort of journey or perspective. Um, I literally read the data um, and got fascinated with how promising those therapies are. Um, and at the time, it didn't seem like there is any other alternative really that is reliable and lasting, unfortunately. So um, I started to pursue my research in psychedelics and um, teamed up with my research partner, Dr. Prashant Pushpanathan, who's a medical doctor, a psychiatrist um, in Australia. And we teamed up to write a paper on um, different altered states of consciousness modalities. Mm -hmm. So these are obviously they involve psychedelics, um, mindfulness, meditation, trance, hypnosis, um, any sort of alterations to how we experience consciousness um, in our day to day. Um, and virtual reality has been a part of that to a certain degree. And as a conclusion to that publication, we realized that those modalities are very powerful by themselves, but there's also a lot of limitations to them. Mm. And there are certain gaps in that they cannot address by themselves in terms of treatment. Um, and it seemed very obvious to us that combining two different state-altering modalities at the same time uh, might lead to a synergistic cumulative effect um, in terms of the therapeutic outcome. And this is how our research um, in combining VR and psychedelics began. So it started with me doing my research, uh, my PhD research on this and looking into different ways in which VR could be used to facilitate the psychedelic experience or psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So we were researching different functions, different features of VR um, that could potentially be useful uh, when introduced in those therapeutic protocols. And as a result of that research, um, which was published um, earlier this year, um, we also realized that um, there's a lot of potential in applying those solutions um, in clinical settings uh, while psychedelics are still being investigated and as soon as they sort of um, enter clinical applications. Um, and we've pursued that as a, as a company, um, Enosis Therapeutics, um, to develop those scenarios and um, be able to actually introduce them to therapists, clinics, and hospitals um, that might need an extra support um, in the treatment they provide that use psychedelic substances. So in reality, the, the research and the company emerged um, simultaneously. The company was um, established two years ago. Um, and so we are we are pursuing both the academic research and the sort of commercial application of that um, at the same time. And this is mm. where we're at right now. Awesome. Fantastic. And so a couple of pieces of this. One of the things you're talking about, you said that there were certain gaps that psychedelics can't fill, that VR does fill. And so combining two state altering or reality altering technologies together actually made for a synergistic effect. What were the gaps with the psychedelics that the VR filled? So one of those gaps um, is the the nature of um, um, sort of therapeutic approach um, means that the sessions that use psychedelics and sessions that prepare and integrate the psychedelic experience are quite disjointed. Um, and that is that is true for any form of therapy, really. Um, there is um, there are sessions that are most of the time weekly that patients come to and in those this 
one hour or two hours of a session, they're expected to dive deep into themselves and explore things that are very challenging and difficult to explore. Um, but between those sessions, there's a lot of life that happens. Um, there is a lot of things that um, are our daily reality that pull us back from that space of introspection or mindfulness. And it's quite challenging to keep returning to that space and have that sense of continuity um, across treatment. Mm. And with psychedelics, that is particularly pronounced because there is a big difference between how you experience the psychedelic session and how you experience the therapeutic sessions that surround it. And there can be that sense of um, disjointment between those sessions. Um, and that's kind of impacting the, the loss of that sense of permanence that patients should feel as they go through a therapeutic journey. So one thing that VR is really good at is providing that additional space that allows you to transition easier from your daily consciousness and your daily experience into that therapeutic space. It's um, hijacks your um, sensory motor system in a way that makes it much more immediate to arrive at uh, into that therapeutic space and ground yourself in that therapeutic space. And that's something that we find very important for the, the oh, that yeah. therapeutic engagement. Um, another thing is that um, the, the psychedelic experience is very much an emotional embodied experiential um, type of type of um, therapy um, while the preparation and the integration sessions are um, based on talk therapy predominantly this is the system that we have for any other form of psychotherapy and the psychedelic treatment has been kind of shoehorned onto that and so we've got this very emotional and embodied experience where most of the healing happens and then we fit that into a framework that is based on very cognitive, analytical uh, way of processing, which talk therapy predominantly is. Um, and there is this sense of disjointment again. And we we see that there is a bit of loss of that very important, profound material that comes up during the psychedelic experience through that process of uh, facing another human being and having to tell them about this. It's very difficult to talk about a psychedelic experience. Um, in fact, one of the defining features of um, an altered state of consciousness experience is that it's ineffable. So being able to talk about this is, is very limited. We don't really even have the words to express that very clearly. Um, and another thing is that having to face someone um, to, who hasn't had that experience and who doesn't maybe understand what happened throughout that um, is very confronting, especially immediately after you've had that experience, sitting next to someone and face to face and looking them in the eye and telling about things that seem almost bizarre sometimes um, can be very confronting and very challenging. And we want to be able to provide our patients with a space that allows them to um, to both speak about the experience, but also express that experience in a number of different ways. Um, and that is most conductive to this process of storytelling and forming the narrative and making meaning of, of that experience. And so we believe that uh, providing an appropriate space for that and providing a set of tools that are very diverse in order to express that experience um, would allow patients to be able to reconnect with that experience more, um, to process it at a number of different levels, um, and to be able to maintain those insights and, and those um, emotional um, 
um, processes that that emerge during the psychedelic experience for much longer than just during that process, that short process of integration, which normally lasts only between six to ten weeks. And so these are the some of the main things that we are addressing. There's obviously a lot of um, sort of smaller limitations as well, like. Uh, patients, a lot of patients can experience strong anxiety before going into the psychedelic experience. And so being able to prepare them adequately is very important in therapy. Um, but of course, preparing someone for a psychedelic experience by, again, talking about this is very limiting because you can't you can't prepare someone for for such a strongly emotional perceptual experience by um, introducing it in words. So having something that to some degree simulates that experience, to some degree primes a little bit that ability to let go and surrender into an experience that is completely unknown, a little bit bizarre, um, that we have no control over. It's again something that we can do much better with a this, an experience design or a design of the world that is... Um, not that familiar reality that we need to stay open to and surrender to, um, then we can do that by by simply talking about this. And these are some of the things that inspired our research and some of the things that we are working to resolve um, with virtual reality. Got it. Okay. So what you're saying is that psychedelics has this effect that it's very difficult to recreate it. You can't talk it. If you have an experience, you can't have that shared experience, but you can mimic it using VR to a degree. And so you can prime them on what to be expected. And then you have the ability to have them continue inside VR so that they kind of have an ease in to this outer reality experience using VR, then the psychedelics, then back to the VR and be able to actually kind of communicate, here's what to expect. Then they get to experience it and then they get to integrate it afterwards using VR and using some sort of tools that you have provided in VR. Is that correct? Did I get that? Yeah, that's that's right. Good job. Um, so you can think of this as a is that in between reality. Yeah. So you've got your external reality. You've got your um, this internal, very personal experience um, that is that is that um, intimate reality. Um, and then it's there is a big gap between the two, and VR kind of sits in between them. So it provides that transition or that buffering zone that makes it easier to go from one state to another state. And in that sense, it makes it easier to connect to that altered state, which is very, it's almost unavailable to us during the daily consciousness or daily experience. Um, mm. Yeah. Can you, can you walk me through what a, what a patient or a user goes through on this experience? Just so I can, I can kind of, we can understand the clarity of case. Do they come into a session, they meet with somebody, they sign paperwork, they go through it. What is, what does it look like as a step-by-step -step for the patient? Yeah, so um, in the regular psychedelic psychotherapy framework, uh, you've got three main phases. The preparation phase, which is um, talk therapy with um, the therapist about what the psychedelic experience will be like, about what to expect from the psychedelic experience, obviously about establishing that trust and that connection and that rapport with your therapist to have that sense of security and safety going into that experience. And also a big part of that preparation phase is setting an intention for your journey. So um, ideally in a psychedelic experience, it's not just a 
you're not just sort of free floating through it. If you have something that guides you, um, perhaps an issue that you'd like to resolve or perhaps an emotion that you'd like to be more open to, um, then it's the the time spent um, after or during dozing um, can be uh, more beneficial. Or that's at least, that's one of the approaches that if you do have an intention, then it does seem that there is a little bit more of resolution of things after you emerge from that experience. So setting an intention for your experience is a big part of that preparation phase. And so what happens after? is you've got the, your dosing session, which depending on the substance um, with psilocybin, it will last between six to eight hours. Um, and that usually, um, the way it looks is that the participant is um, usually is lying down with um, headphones, um, with, with the pre-selected music on um, and blindfolds, not to get distracted too much by their external environment, especially in a clinical setting, which can be um, very distracting and yeah. somewhat anxiety provoking as well, especially if you see, you know, all the clinical equipment and, um, and your therapist sitting there. And during that experience, it's usually two therapists, uh, quite often male and female, um, who are there to support you. Um, in most of the approaches at the moment, they're not um, interacting too much with the participant to leave this time um, sort of as unobstructed as possible. Um, but there is a, obviously there is a need for guidance sometimes. There's definitely a need to hold space for someone, to make them feel safe and looked after. Um, so that if you need water, there's someone to bring you water. If you need to go to the bathroom, someone walks you to the bathroom. So it's a very supportive type of function that therapists play. And then after that experience, um, usually that's followed by integration sessions, uh, which can be anything between a couple of integration sessions up to usually maximum around 10 in current clinical trials, mostly because of the resource limitation. Um, and during those integration sessions, the main focus is to try and understand what happened during the psychedelic experience, try to reconnect to it as much as possible, and try to process all those insights uh, or emotions that came up during the psychedelic experience. So in a way, it's very different to regular psychotherapy, which is much more linear, where you usually start by having certain therapeutic framework and you process your specific indication. You, you focus a lot on that indication. So if you come with um, a resistant um, a treatment resistant depression, there's a lot of focus on identifying what brought you to this point, what aggravates your um, uh, depressive symptoms. Um, and so, so indication is this kind of thread that goes through psychotherapeutic approach. Um, in psychedelics, that is a little bit, it's shelved for, for that time being. Um, and the focus is on the experience itself, which can be associated with um, your indication but can be associated with a lot of other things that are underlying that were not discovered and were not um, you are not aware of. Um, that's this subconscious material that emerges that uh, seems to be so important. And so a lot of focus during integration is to try to reconnect with that material, try to process it, and then eventually to create certain actions or behavior change um, that can be applied in your daily life as a result of that experience. And so that's the framework for mm -hmm. the regular psychedelic psychotherapy mm -hmm. um, as it's most often applied at the moment. There's obviously a lot of variations to it and a lot of therapists use a range of different tools. Um, some, some don't want to use music at all and believe that lack of music is more powerful. So there's, there's a lot of variations to that. And there's still, you know, we have to remember that psychedelic 
research is um, still very immature. It's still, it really just started. Yeah. There are so many unknowns that, that are there. So um, but, uh, just so I can understand you right now, is you're saying that the typical modality for the psychedelic therapy is you have the initial kind of consultation, introduction, talk therapy with the professional and says, okay, this is what to expect. What's your intention? What do you hope to get out of it? And you prime them. Then they go mm -hmm. and they have the experience, right? Blindfolded, laying down, go through the experience, leave them alone, right? Let them do their thing. And then you have the integration phase afterwards where they go through and they integrated what was the experience what were the lessons what did they get out of it and what did that look like so that's the typical model you're talking mm -hmm. about when you're using the actual psychedelic therapy in the uh traditional if we want to call it traditional because yes it is super new and cut in that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so then then if that's the model with the psychedelic therapy at what point can you walk me through how your model is different using virtual reality modalities and these different types of it sounds like unique environments absolutely mm -hmm. um so our process starts um already in preparation so we are using um a very consistent type of environment throughout all the phases of treatment to again have that sense of cohesion in treatment to engage patients in arriving at the in their therapeutic space and know let their minds know that this is that therapeutic space. They're in a different zone now. Uh -huh. And so during real quick, preparation, real quick, I don't yeah. mean to cut you off. I won't let you go. Can you set the context for what you're, is okay. Do they meet the, the uh, therapist inside or the professional inside of ER and they have the conversation inside there? So we just, so when you're saying, oh, it's, we use a consistent space. Are, are they in it the entire time, this virtual reality environment? I just want to understand when you say they go into it, Absolutely. I'm trying to understand yeah. the position of the storyline for the, the journey. Yeah. And so so we, during preparation, um, they use VR um, for whatever period of time they want together with the therapist. In our scenarios, what we found is that it's best if the therapist is not physically present in that space as an avatar. Um, this is, we found this, through process for endless process of reiteration of our models that it's actually best if the patient is in that space by themselves um, and the therapist is outside guiding the process of therapy with their voice but without their physical presence in the vr space so the vr space belongs to the patient and patient alone if the patient wants to invite the therapist they're allowed to but it is that sense of ownership of their space that is very important because that's something that you don't normally have in a regular hospital setting right you come to you come to the therapist's office that is their office it's their plans it's their chairs you can't move it around in vr it's your space so a therapist can come in but they don't have to and so what happens in preparation is that uh, we immerse them in a very soothing natural environment. Uh, we often use an Australian beach because uh, we find that most people respond to this the best. Um, and in that, when they're on that beach in this beautiful natural landscape, which we try to make um, as detailed as possible and as natural looking as possible to actually make them believe that they are on the beach. And on that beach, they are, um, there are more abstract and surreal environments elements that they can manipulate and play with. And those elements um, are there to help them set an intention. So they go through the process of discussing with the therapist who's outside of the VR of what their process have been up to date, what, uh, what things they struggle with, what they would like to focus on. They, they build that psychological map as they would in a regular therapy. It's just that now they're in their 
immersive environment where they physically build a representation of what they're talking about by themselves. So they get engaged in a multi-sensory way um, in creating that healing pathway for themselves. So if they discuss, for example, some problems that they're facing with their family, they can record using um, 3D objects within VR, any thoughts or emotions that are associated with the topic that they're discussing. And eventually they end up with a whole library of, of little 3D objects that they've recorded for themselves that they can manipulate, play around with, and um, arrive at the point of where they're ready to set the intention that is related to all those issues that they're dealing with. And once they set an intention, they record that intention in their own voice using a symbolic representation of that intention. They build what we call a totem um, of that intention. So a 3D object that represents somehow um, what that intention is. Um, and so this is something that they're building slowly throughout the preparation phase. So they're building that, that preparation for the, for the dosing experience. And then on the dosing day, they are that totem that they've constructed, which has both the visual information and the audio information that they recorded for themselves, um, is um, imported to another model that they experience immediately after taking the psychedelic substance. Um, and during that time is, is the time where people usually experience the anxiety um, about this upcoming trip. Um, it's this, there's a bit of a lag time between taking the substance and actually feeling the effect of it. Um, with psilocybin, that can be, depends on the person, but can be between 20 minutes up to an hour sometimes. And that's this moment where you're kind of feeling, oh, am I tripping it? Am I not tripping? What's happening? Is it, what's it going to be like? How is it going to feel? Um, and so we apply our VR during that time to kind of distract the patients from all that unwanted um, thoughts and emotions and anxiety and focus them back inwards onto their intention. So they're back on the beach, they've got their intention totem in front of them, and they can listen back to it, they can play with that. They've got this reminder to guide them on their upcoming journey. Um, and so that's how we use this before the actual psychedelic experience. The, mm. the most probably critical part comes actually at the end of the psychedelic experience. So once all those insights emerged um, and once all those profound thoughts and emotions um, like came to be um, with the use of the psychedelic substance, we want to make sure that we preserve as much of this as possible. And so we immerse patients in that same VR environment at the very end of their psychedelic experience. So while they're still in that, um, it's called that the tail end of the experience when you slowly start to return back to a normal reality. Um, so that's when you're there is you're still tripping a little bit, but you're we're already capable of some sort of exchange of sort of understanding what's happening around you. So it's that again tra transition between the altered state of consciousness and the normal consciousness. And so we use the VR to catch the process of uh, what's sometimes referred to as the first narrative formation. So when those insights are still very profound and raw in your mind, um, you are much better at kind of expressing them in their very chaotic, um, raw manner um, that is often lost even day or two days after the experience. Um, so we're trying to preserve that by providing them with that space where they can express themselves in a multi-sensory manner. So again, they have a series of objects that can be used as visual representations of their experience that they use then as little anchors of those insights and they record those insights in their own voice. And that's critical because 
hearing those insights later in your own voice is very evocative, much more so than uh, what is currently used when the therapist is taking notes for you, for example, when you express those insights and then just reads out what you said more or less. Uh, having that emotional information, that sound of your voice and how exactly how you said it as chaotically and in a, as bizarre way as possible is much more evocative um, than those transcripts. And so patients record that they can create the drawings, they can build things within VR that represent those insights. And the next day during their integration process, they revisit that same space. They come back to that same beach with all those little insights that they created for themselves, which are arranged to a little constellation. So we've, we call it um, a memory library. So they've got the memory library of their psychedelic insights that they revisit, listen to, there's further insights, insights that are being created as a result of that, as a result of being reminded. And so they, they continue throughout the entire um, integration process, they continue to build and expand that memory library or memory palace of their psychedelic experience. And we do that in a very symbolic way as well. So as they process that, they can group those insights, they can create themes of those insights. They can plan some of them, if there's something that they want to really nourish. So they plan their insight and with every action they take um, on a weekly basis with their therapist, they are, um, they nourish that plant, they water that plant with those actions and the plant grows. If there's insights that no longer save them, they can throw them in the fire and symbolically get rid of that insight or that, uh, that burden that they've been carrying. So there's a lot of symbolic actions that can be performed in VR um, that become much more tangible um, than just by talking about, you know, saying that, oh, this no longer serves me, I want to get rid of it, but rather being there holding on to this, hearing it in your own voice, seeing a visual representation of that and throwing it in a fire. So there's something much more cleansing about that process. So that's um, that's the basic kind of functions that can be used in VR in order to strengthen that process of uh, of going through the experience, of reconnecting with the experience and processing all the learnings that happen um, or emerge during the psychedelic session. Fantastic. Very helpful when you walk through the steps to kind of explain the journey so people can kind of understand. And that does sound in terms of taking what typically works inside real life and enhancing it using VR to, to cultivate, you know, this, this change that people want to have in their lives, which is a lot of reasons. People that uh, aren't necessarily familiar with psychedelics and they, they haven't really experienced it. They don't understand the profound effects that they can have on someone's mm -hmm. behavioral change and benefits. And there's studies at John Hopkins and other things that are out there talking about the benefits of this, but you really took a chance to really enhance this. In terms of the nitty gritty pieces of science, right? And mm -hmm. so we know that virtual reality, like, therapy is beneficial. We know that psychedelics is beneficial. And you said that you are a clinic, you are studying these things as, you know, part commerce and part science. You know, what are some of the, uh, the stats, the data, the benefits that you've seen by using virtual reality plus psychedelics together, how it actually has a, some sort of quantitative uh, versus qualitative benefits? Yeah, so what we are focusing on is um, is kind of two-way street. So it's one is how can how well can participants be reminded of their experience at the psychological level? So the amount of recall of the actual insights. And that's something that we actually assess uh, qualitatively so that they tell us what they remember and then we go through the through the VR experience with them and then they remind us yeah. of all the additional things that they said. And that's something that we can compare in terms of, um, you know, usually what participants remember is most the key 
um, insights that they had, the most yeah. important information. But a lot of that, you know, the fluff, but the fluff that contains a lot of that emotional load is already lost. Um, and a lot of those little snippets of um, expressions and how they associate certain expressions with that experience, that's all lost um, until they're immersed in the VR environment. So that's something that we can compare in terms of the notes that we've taken of what they what they do remember and then yeah. going through that experience being like, oh, I actually right. said that. Oh, yeah, I know that noise does remind me of that experience. Um, so this is what we see, which is really, um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then we look at it on the other hand, um, at an emotional level and what is the um, how evocative the experience in vr is um compared to um control vr so we use control vrs to compare our vr that was used together with the psychedelic experience in a way that we sort of designed it to anchor that experience and then we used a very very evocative very immersive mystical type of environment but th which did not have that anchoring mechanism and what we saw is that um patients had a, a reasonable sort of emotional response to that control VR, um, but it was much, much lower uh, in terms of the intensity of the emotions and much different in terms of the profile of specific emotions as compared to what they experienced during their psychedelic session. But when we use our anchoring VR, um, that match between the emotional um, experience um, following anchoring and following psychedelic session we're very, very closely matched. And I mean, I'm talking about like 99% um, type of match where, where the same type of emotions with the same type of intensity are evoked after hearing those insights, which is something that we're very pleased with. And the main emotions that we're looking at um, are state of mindfulness, for example. Um, so we use state mindfulness scale to look at the level of introspection um, and basically looking inside of yourself and understanding emotions. Um, and we used a uh, VR-induced effect checklist, which is a list of a whole list of emotions from, you know, being feeling melancholic, feeling sad, to feeling energized, feeling lively, um, to feeling the sense of awe, um, and how which ones are the strongest and how strong those strongest emotions are. So these are the effects that we see. So there is that psychological reminder of your insights, but there's this also being emotionally thrown into a similar space that you had during the psychedelic experience. And what that means is that therapists have much better access to what happened during the psychedelic session for much longer. Um, and so they can process it um, more effectively because they can keep going back to that and they can keep expanding that and they can keep revisiting those very raw um, emotional insights and as the patient kind of gains more understanding of themselves, as things happen in their life, they can keep going back to that and revisiting what that experience meant to them. So instead of having the single experience once and then process it in a very linear fashion, you go, you can go back in loops. You can keep returning to that, having better understanding of it. So to some way recycling that experience without the need for additional dosing session. Got it. So it makes sense. So yeah, part of doing psychedelics as as, as someone who's experienced it is it's, it's kind of drinking from an information fire hose. And so mm -hmm. you get a ton of information, but then you lose that, you lose that. And so one of the biggest pieces is integration. So what you're saying is that you're using VR as an anchoring tool to be able to anchor the intentions, the emotions, the experiences and what you got in terms of your own experiences. And then you can kind of re- uh, reintegrate that into your life, but actually going through and taking the actions that would allow you to 
take that psychedelic shine for lack of a better term and keep that with you longer as you go along and you take these actions going through and that's part of the benefits of having this using this vr as anchoring and using this other type of psychedelic technologies that you can this is a kind of a, a deeper anchoring longer you so you get better integrations that last longer is that kind of the, the major benefits that we're talking about here yeah yeah, yeah. that's right Okay. And along the way, uh, where are you at right now in terms of, so you say clinical, commercial, I know there's, it, it, you're at this bleeding edge, right? Where it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Everybody knows that psychedelic uh, it has massively beneficials and there's a whole bunch of benefits and there's a whole bunch of research sort of support it, but uh, uh, we're still waiting for um, legislation to catch up mm -hmm. with this type of things. And so I know it's kind of like this very gray area uh, uh, for what we're looking at right now. And so where are you currently at with the commerce side of things? How are you servicing people? What does that look like? I'm sure there's people that are listening to this that are like, great, sign me up. I'll take two. So uh, can you talk to me just a little bit about that? Yeah. So at the moment, we are just at the beginning of um, partnering up with clinics that use ketamine. So ketamine, of course, works a little bit differently to what we understand as um, the traditional psychedelics. Uh, but it does have a slightly similar profile in terms of the psychotherapeutic approach, ideally, um, in terms of preparing for the experience, um, going for an altered state of consciousness that is uh, very novel and unfamiliar and can um, evoke a lot of emotions that uh, a sort of daily consciousness um, does not or daily experiences do not. Um, and so then processing that material that came up in that emotional state, ideally, um, in the process of integration. So this is where uh, we are applying our VR at the moment, and we are just starting partnerships with a couple of, of large clinics that we're very excited about. Um, and those clinics are research clinics as well, so they will be collecting the data for us to see how anchoring VR works with ketamine uh, and what whether they see any improvements in the, in the processes that they're using at the moment with their patients. Um, so in terms of commercializing um, ketamine as our current uh, target. Um, and in terms of research, we're looking at running a clinical trial with um, psilocybin early next year. Great, awesome. I'm sure a lot of people are very curious, but yeah, ketamine seems to be have that, that breakaway where now there's a lot of um, uh, clinics out there that are starting to do that. I've seen a lot of advertisement online. There's a bunch of different companies that are doing that. So it makes sense that, that you're putting that A and B together. Uh, what about going into the little personal area? You said that you know this from research. You researched it. You came from a different direction. You studied the stuff. It looked fascinating. So you got into a science. Um, have you have you tested out your own experiences? Have you had an opportunity for you personally to go through this at all? Um, I wouldn't be putting anything on a patient that I I didn't actually try myself. Uh -huh. um, I, yeah, I, I, again, I came into psychedelic space completely through science and did not have any psychedelic experiences myself until I realized how powerful they are. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until I've, um, 
outlined the protocol for our VR scenarios based on the data. So based on other people's experiences, based on their accounts, um, trying to be as objective as I can um, before I considered taking, trying it myself. I Obviously, I was very tempted because the more you read about this and the more you see how powerful that can be in, a, in the right setting and with the right guidance. Um, but I felt that having that... Um, you know, almost a naive approach in terms of being a scientist, but never having experienced that and knowing how to analyze data, knowing how to um, take those results and build something based on that. I thought that was quite unique. Um, and I wanted to explore that position for as long as I could. So, so the protocols were developed completely based on accounts of other people's experiences without being muddled with, with my own personal preferences or my own personal experiences. Um, and it wasn't until I've actually finished writing up the protocol um, that I did training with um, a group that is organizing retreat for retreats for mental health professionals. Um, and it's a training in acceptance commitment therapy, um, very intense, very, very profound. Um, and it is all for the professionals working in this field and who, um, who either work as therapists or as scientists uh, with psychedelics. Um, and yeah, that was an incredibly, it was a life-changing event, absolutely. Uh, and the amount of learning that came out from that, both at a personal and professional level, is just, it's not something that I could accomplish uh, with any other uh, approaches, you know, in mm. years. So, um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and it's fantastic. And I know it's, it's funny here. So, like, I mean, look at it. So, we're talking about the psychedelics. We know it's massively beneficial. You know the John Hopkins studies. We know that it has, uh, you know, a lot of these like psilocybin has a neurogenesis effect, aka grows brain cells. We know that there's there's tons of science and data. You are currently creating a VR psychedelic application to help facilitate this thing. But as soon as I get into the personal conversation about it, you can see the the priming of hey, wait, I'm totally a science. I'm not I'm not a hippy dippy. I don't just grab a whole bunch of bags of mushrooms and then go run into the outback. Right. I totally I, I get that. And 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 I think people that have taken it understand the impacts on it. But if you haven't taken it, it's very hard to articulate the massive personal benefits that it has on your psyche, on your emotions, on the trauma, on, on everything inside your life that, that basically expands you to help you become more positive. But it's very funny how we have this resistance to talking about personal experiences around it. And that's for a lot of people, because it is such a it's we know it's beneficial, but it's still taboo, which is a really interesting, weird space that we're in right now. Can you talk to me just a little bit about uh, if you're open to it, what what um, psychedelics did you do at this? It sounds like this was a retreat for mental health professionals that want to use psychedelics into their own practice. And so you went to this um, psychedelic boot camp, right, uh, for mental health professionals, which sounds massively beneficial. What psychedelics did you take? So the, the retreat was in the Netherlands. Um, okay. And in most of the retreats, they use truffles. Um, because it's not illegal. Um, and if you just take it for personal use and you prepare it yourself, um, then we are, we're still a little bit in a gray zone, but it's, um, there's no chance of being prosecuted for that. Um, so yeah, so that was my experience. It was a incredibly painful experience. Um, it's, um, really? you know, I'm very, I have, I have a, a lot of respect for those substances. And as you say, you know, yes, we understand that they're very powerful. They're very, um, they're very helpful. They can be incredibly beneficial and life-changing for some people, but they are 
they are incredibly powerful and they have to be respected. And a lot of things can go wrong if they're taken in the wrong setting or with the wrong people. Um, and so there is like I do understand in some way that um, hesitation, especially from you know governing bodies in terms of introducing them as a as a treatment um, that can be a little bit more scalable because we do need a lot of care um, around introducing that, especially when it's we're talking about you know lack of training for therapists that is currently a bit of a bottleneck in that in that process. Um, so yes, they are they are very very powerful and it has been powerful for me. Um, it was actually physically painful for me, which was which was really interesting. Uh, it was a very embodied experience. Um, so there is, you know, one of the stigmas of um, oh, psychedelics are addictive, and people are going to just be, um, you know, taking acid every single day. That's that does um, as much as there's a lot of like a lot of caution that I have yeah. in terms of introducing those substances. There's also some of those arguments that seem a little bit ridiculous and obviously come from people who haven't taken um, a psychedelic because the last thing you want to do after taking a large dose of a psychedelic substance is to take a psychedelic substance. Uh -huh. um, so it was it was challenging. It was very confronting. Um, and it was an incredible experience because there were a lot of people who work with those substances, some of them also um, having tried it for the first time. Um, and it was a group setting, so it was very confronting. There was a lot of, um, in the acceptance commitment therapy framework, you have uh, a lot of processes that really make you face your demons. Um, and not only you're doing that, you're doing that in front of a group of 15 other people who are standing right there in front of you, also completely vulnerable, uh, just, you know, wearing nothing but all those all those incredible insights and, and sort of life changing thoughts and emotions they just had. Um, there's there's no no way of being that vulnerable in every day. And that connection that is formed with within those group members um, that is so immediate, so strong, uh, so completely non-judgmental, um, it's, it's perhaps the most refreshing part uh, about that experience. And um, as much as it's, it's, yes, very challenging to be in a group environment, um, I think that a big part of that healing that happened for me as a result of that experience was because there was a group and there were so many confronting things that I had to face um, in front of others and, and brave into that in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the 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 tribe can heal the group, having a group of people around, whether there's psychedelics, non-psychedelics, all that fun stuff. But being there and kind of going through the journey together um, is, is is massively beneficial. And yeah, I mean, that sounds like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of circles, uh, uh, whether it's a traditional plant medicine that you might take in the jungles, they form together in groups of people. And you generally, you know, have one person leading through it and they go through it. So as you're going through as a mental health professional, going through this group learning situation, which sounds like an incredibly vulnerable and it sounds like a lot of people that are probably very logical, logical and, and in their in their heads and so that, and then you just get drop them into their bodies. It sounds like a, a, a rather strong awakening for people to experience along that way. Are they teaching for the like what is the main benefit for the mental health professionals to go through this? Do they learn frameworks or technologies or they go, hey, now that you've tasted the medicine, you can give the medicine to other people. I'm trying to understand what separates that group of mental health professionals um, from some uh, just 
going to the jungles and trying another substance at another place with another group. So what the what part of that is an educational that benefits mental health professionals specifically? There is definitely that component of actually going through the experience yourself and understanding the experience. Um, again, it's an ineffable thing. It's very difficult to learn from a textbook of once what someone uh, goes through. Um, that is true for obviously for any uh, mental health problem that anyone is suffering from. Um, and I think I think a lot of therapists would like to have a better understanding, for example, of what depression really feels like so they can truly target those uh, those mechanisms or those approaches that work best for patients. Um, of course, we don't have a way of testing that, but in terms of this specific treatment, uh, which is so experiential, we do have a way of treating that, of, of um, inducing that and, and experiencing that. So having, having gone through that experience that is challenging um, and confronting and very, very healing, um, I think it gives mental health professionals a much better understanding of what the participant is going through at the time, what they might need the most, what sort of support might be most appropriate at certain times, and respond also better to um, also the challenges that, that come up. Because there's a lot of challenges yeah. that come up that can be very hard, uh -huh. but they will be very, very beneficial as well. And that's something that should not be obstructed most of the time if there is a benefit to that. And recognizing the difference between what is a challenge that should be tackled and should be supported, uh, should, the patient should be supported in, and what is that detrimental moment of like, this is too much, this is, this is too hard, there's something that is going on there that is disadvantages. Uh, being able to recognize and, and draw that line between the two is very, very hard. And I think being having the experience yourself um, can assist with that understanding. Um, so that's, yeah, having the experience uh, by far is the biggest learning curve. Um, but for right. me, it was also the that acceptance commitment therapy framework that was quite interesting. You said exitness commitment framework. What was that? Can you say that again? Acceptance, acceptance oh, commitment okay. therapy. Okay, got yeah, it, got ICT. It. Yeah, okay. it is quite often used with um, with uh, psychedelic treatment. Um, it is one of the frameworks that is um, gaining more popularity. Um, and so, learning how that can be applied, especially in a group setting, um, was also very helpful because we did go through a lot of exercises together. And again, having that exposure to what it actually feels like to mm -hmm. speak about your most shameful moments mm -hmm. in front of 15 people after ta having taken psychedelic substance. This is not something that you can ever, ever learn from a textbook. Um, so having to actually do that and forcing yourself to do that um, is, you know, is, is walking the talk, right? You can't expect your patients to be able to brave into this um, if you don't have the guts to brave into, into that space yourself. Because we all have demons. Um, you don't need to be... Um, diagnosed with depression in order to have demons right we all yeah. have things that we need to face sure. and we should be facing um, and we should be allowed to face them and, and not wait for a psychiatrist diagnosis in order to be allowed to face them and in order to be allowed to have mm -hmm. take something that might help us um, heal emotionally on a lot of levels mm -hmm. um, have you yeah. had how have you handled or have you had an issue with anybody going through um, your experience uh, the angry in VR plus psychedelics what insert whatever psychedelic you want, how do you handle the bad trips? How do you handle the situations when it's not so, because it can be, it's a, it, it can be white and fluffy and it can be absolutely hell. 
So mm -hmm. how do you handle that situation? Because you're right, it's a fine line between they're processing, they're doing it versus it's too much. And that that that's a different line for everybody. More seasoned Absolutely. psychonaut warriors can handle a tremendous amount more than someone who's never done it their entire life and this is their first experience. So uh, how, how do you handle that? So we've only done case studies so far. And in our case studies, we did not have anyone going through the experience that uh, would have been disadvantages. There were some challenges, some, some painful moments, some very emotional moments, but none of the participants at any point expressed that they're struggling too much to be able to handle. Um, they would cry, um, they would want to hold our hand to support them through this. Um, but um, I'm a scientist, so I'm, I was there as a, as a sort of principal investigator on the science project. Um, it is my, my research and business partner uh, who is the medical doctor and who he is the one responsible um, for managing um, you know, everything from medical assessment um, to, to taking people through this um, experience as a therapist. So he's, yeah. he's an experienced therapist. Um, but yes, we haven't actually had that. Um, there's a lot of uh, things in the, in the protocol that are in place, which the sort of the last um, resort is using diazepam to basically take someone out of that experience, which is something you don't want to do. You don't take this lightly because that does put an end to an experience. And that does mean that the, the insight and insights and the processing and all that time someone spent under um, is much less useful um, yeah. therapeutically. So yes, it is. It is a very much at this point in time, um, up to a therapist kind of decision. Um, there is some, you know, indications, but at the moment there isn't. As far as I know, um, there isn't very clear pathway in any of the psychedelic protocols of at which point to give diazepam. So it is, um, yeah, the therapist so you, who makes that decision. So diazepam you have as an emergency valve, and you can you can bring people through. And I and I, again, yes. Yeah, you want people to be able to struggle to get through because they get the reward on the other side. Otherwise you pull them out and they get very little of the benefits uh, going through it. So that makes sense. I was just curious because you talked about your struggles and how intense it was and how to handle it and the difference between A and B. So I was like, okay, yeah. well, how have you handled the B part? Cause I, cause everyone can go through, get amazing insights and, you know, have that, the, you know, that whole, you know, uh, resolving of whatever's going on inside of their hearts. And so, I was I was super curious about that. What about? Let me ask you. So you you've put together an amazing technology here, and you're combining very intense stuff. And by the way, yes, the the things that work are dangerous. There, that's the the you know uh, cars and rocket ships and every everything that we use in this place that that, ha that has an effect, right? It can be abused, right? All technologies can be abused. A, a, a knife can cut bread. It can cut a person. It's just the it's just how do we use this technology? And so, yes, it take it. It's not something to be lightly. Having respect is super important. And if you abuse it, you will get smacked down by the cosmos or whatever you want to call it. If you if you do it, so just that is a word of warning. Don't just. It's not a willy nilly thing. There's much intention that's needed. So I just you know caveat. And you know I'm not a scientist nor a doctor. Do I play one on the television or the internet? So just you know word of warning on that. You know beware of your own risks. But with that being said, I want to say this, you've put a lot of time, three years in the making, you're putting this in the clinical uses, business uses, commercial uses. What is what I would call the holy grail for you and for, and for the company? What is your flag in the sand? What do you hope to achieve by creating the anchoring DR and everything else that you're doing with this company? 
So our main mission um, is to make sure that we we start looking at the psychedelic experience or the altered state of consciousness experience as the core of therapy that uses psychedelics. So instead of um, trying to, um, you know, we, we stumbled upon something that is incredibly, can be incredibly healing and can be incredibly powerful and does feel like we're trying to now manage it a little bit by, by shoehorning it into um, this um, framework that we're more comfortable with. Um, as therapists. Um, and what we would like to happen is for that altered state experience to be put at the center of the attention of um, psychedelic framework and everything else to be developed around it, to hold that space as well as we can and to make sure that uh, we make the most out of the altered state experience. And so that's where all of our approaches um, at Enosis come from, putting that altered state experience at the center and then putting the patient at the center of the experience and behind the steering wheel of their healing journey. And that's where VR comes into play of having that sense of empowerment, of building your own world, of constructing it inside out by yourself. You're the one who's responsible because you're the one who's going to take make the most benefit out of that. Um, and so having seeing those frameworks um, sort of at least start to consider to form a slightly different narrative around the altered state of consciousness um, is our main goal because we feel like VR can be a very powerful tool to recenter that therapeutic engagement around the altered state experience. And this is important to us because what we believe might happen is that if we start to prioritize the experience um, rather than the indication or the clinical outcome, then we might start to really shift in the way how we understand the process of healing, how we understand mental health in general. So rather than seeing this as a linear approach of trying to um, narrow it down to a certain issue, go for an experience, and then resolving a certain issue, we need to understand that there's much more that is happening, um, that this approach has to be more holistic, um, and that we really need to start prioritizing how patients are feeling, how patients are embodying certain things. Um, and then treating the indication is almost a byproduct of that, rather than that holy grail. The experience itself should be the holy grail in a way. Mm. Um, and this is what we see VR as being a very powerful tool in shifting that narrative a little bit um, as the tool that can help us explore and test what are best scenarios, what are best narratives that should be formed around that altered state experience um, to make it as healing as possible. It might not be the end game and it might not be the best approach, but it is a very interesting tool that allows us for testing that and exploring this more like a, you know, a blue sky research, which is less um, specific, but more explorative and trying to understand what is really happening there. Because what we, we are desperate to have a phase shift in the way we approach mental well-being, full stop. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So you say having having the psychedelic be the main focus and the healing of the patient being at the center of the experience and then building everything around to enhance that experience then trying to do it from the other direction, trying to take tried and true frameworks from therapist practices and other frameworks and then trying to shoehorn that in to the experience. Yeah. That, that it, we want to flip that and say, we know that these medicines have been beneficial. They've been benefiting humanity for eons right and we understand that at the center of that when you can kind of remove the barriers between the patient and the medicine and use the environments and the technologies to facilitate that then you get much better results than trying to go and say okay well this is something that works in a clinical office setting so let's just put that in there 
um, if that is, and you said changing the narrative of the experience is one thing you mentioned earlier. What is the, what I'd say the dragon, what is the big thing that is, if you, if that's your Holy grail, if that's the folks if that is what you're trying to achieve. What is the dragon that's preventing you or the biggest challenge preventing you from achieving that goal? I would probably say it's that um, the fear that a lot of people have around introducing something new, any any type of new treatment. Um, and there is a lot of that fear that surrounds psychedelics. As we discussed a little bit, there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of uh, apprehension around what, how will that look like and how we'll be able to provide for patients what is needed. How are we going to be able to mitigate any potential side effects or, or problems that emerge? Um, so there's a lot of um, a lot of those issues that surround psychedelic treatment by itself. And then, of course, introducing technology into that adds another variable that makes people even more apprehensive and even more worried, um, especially if someone is very dogmatic about psychedelic treatment and they think that you take psychedelic, you go, you, you stay in nature and that's how the healing happens. Um, nothing artificial should be a part of that. That's That's one of the things that we we heard initially that using tech with psychedelics just makes no sense because they're, they belong to completely two different worlds, which in reality, if you think about how we're using psychedelics at the moment in a clinic with two therapists staring at you as you go through your experience and you're lying in a sometimes, you know, you, it's a, usually a beautiful room, but you're still very often in a hospital or in a clinic. You're in yeah. closed room, right? Yeah. Um, there's nothing traditional um, or, um, you know, the, the, there's... The old arguments that we hear around VR being that artificial method of supporting an, an older state experience is really true for how we have created that framework at the moment. In fact, by being able to return to that altered state as an experience and being able to provide that multi-sensory space for self-expression, we're connecting back with that experience much more so than a lot of that clinical um, approaches that, that are based mostly on, on discussion and analytical and, and cognitive processes. Um, but there is, it is often seen as a threat to um, the traditional models um, and the use of technology as something that is, I guess, more, more mm -hmm. cold um, as compared to that more organic experience that, that we have. Um, which, as you mentioned, like, you know, technology is what we make of it. Um, technology is amoral. Um, it doesn't have a, an indication by itself. It exists to support us in the decisions that we are making. Um, and yeah, it can become anything in, in anyone's hands, really. So. Mm. so you're getting it from both sides. You're getting it from the ancient protect practitioners of using the technology to go, hey, just the medicine person, get out of the way. And then you have the clinicians who are like, Hey, that doesn't make sense. We've got our systems. And so you're trying to, you're, you know, you're trying to, you know, oil and vinegar, these two things together and actually make it work. And it makes sense. There are benefits in it. What you're talking about makes a lot of sense of how it actually uses. But if, if it's getting people to adopt new things that like, look, we know our systems work, don't make us change, which is funny because, mm -hmm. you know, psychedelics and VR, they, they create change in and of themselves. And so it's, it's, it's very funny to see that. Um, it's, <clears throat> Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about? Any final messages, any final words before you tell them how to get a hold of you and how to get a hold of the, you know, your company, all that? 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that I would really like, I guess that's a message more to any any researcher or any clinician out there, um, is to stay open-minded. That's the main thing that I would like to encourage anyone to do, uh, whether it's about um, the pursuit of technology and psychedelics or whether it's about introducing psychedelic as a potential treatment for patients. Um, Just be be open-minded and be explorative. We don't have all the answers. Uh, We'll probably never have all the answers, but while we're learning and while we're exploring those um, those new solutions that do seem to have positive impact, uh, we shouldn't discount them just because of uh, certain presumptions that we've made. And being an op- being open-minded in that um, introducing new approaches will definitely bring us closer to the end goal, which is um, a mental well-being for for anyone, um, than you know being stuck with with established frameworks. Yeah. The, the, it, it, it's a great message. The irony I find, you know, like, like, like when COVID happened, the hardest people that to try to learn new technologies were the educational institutions, you know, the places that taught right. people how to do things and the places that are supposed to therapists and researchers who are supposed to be open to, to helping their patients learn new ways of being are the people that are sometimes the most closed minded. So there's an irony inside of that. And you're right. There's, I think that this is a technology that once you experience it, once you understand it, once you actually embody it and know what it is, you actually learn what it is. But until you can take that plunge into the great unknown, um, it, sometimes there's this resistance before you can experience it. So I love what you're doing. Uh, I love your mission. This is great. I'm very excited to learn more as you go about this. If people want to find more out about you or about your company, how do they do that? Um, you can go to our website, which is mm-hmm. enosistherapeutics.com, mm-hmm. um, or you can find me on LinkedIn um, under Agnieszka Sekula, um, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Beautiful. Thank you, Agnieszka. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being on the show. Have a beautiful day, and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.